welcome to Fandom Media. And this is episode 11, Here There Be Dragons. Only 13 episodes in the season, so we are getting close to the end of season 2, which has been a very strong season so far. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. It's been great. Alright, so let's get into the material for this excellent third-to-last episode of the season. Meta Elements. As Aziz mentioned, the episode's title was Here There Be Dragons. We like to talk about the title significance in every episode, and this one was pretty self-explanatory because Dr. Turby goes into it himself. Right, they explain it straight up. They have a conversation where it's mentioned. We have that theme coming up with several of the characters and plot lines. We have May being asked, don't you want to be able to fly one day? And we have the Rocinante crew going into the unknown of Ganymede and the Holden and Naomi split up. Yeah, and Bobby is now going from being a Martian to a Earth person, someone seeking political asylum. The unknown. Right on. So a lot of different ones going on there. Narrative. So let's start with Bobby then. Cool. So, turns out Martins has been lying to Bobby this whole time. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah, we didn't exactly not see that coming. He's also, you know, the typical my generation kind of BSer. Yeah, they made you really kind of want to hate him because he's being such a hypocrite about everything. Asking her to make a sacrifice that he didn't actually have to make himself or anything close to it. So we find out that he was watching the battle. He was in the small craft that they refused to admit she saw. It's interesting that she decides to tell Martins the true version of that story before, you know, beating the crap out of him. Yeah, and boy, does she beat him up. <laughs> yeah, that was very a very thorough beating. I guess those Martians are tough. They can take a beating. <laughs> when we watched it, the other person in the room was cheering. Like, yes, finally. <laughs> I was cheering at Bobby's response to Kutyar there when she says, what the F are you looking at? Because Kutyar definitely was like, yeah, I can see why Avasarala likes her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, the other great line in, in that scene is, I asked you for your help not to start a diplomatic incident. You should have been more specific. <laughs> nice job. I also really liked what Avasarala said to Bobby there, which was actually very comforting to her and was very heartwarming to me when she tells her that this is a very brave thing that you've done today. And just generally, she is acting very warm towards Bobby in that scene. Avasarala had her own part to play in Bobby being able to request political asylum in the first place because <laughs> she keeps the MCR ship from leaving. Terrorist threat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we get word that she's putting pressure on the Mao family. Yeah, and it seems likely that when she goes to this meeting with Mao that we might just see Bobby meet Mao as well. And maybe we'll see some more of Mao's people. We don't really know who else he's got like on his staff or if any new characters will be introduced. It's an opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, we do hear mention of his daughter, Clarissa, right there. We've heard talk of her a couple of times now. And that he has sons, so maybe that will, maybe we'll get to see them. That does seem as likely as anything, but obviously it's not just him doing all this by himself. In these scenes with Absarala, we also see that she gives Aaron Wright a bit of a heads up that he's going to be in trouble when the Eros hearings roll around, which seems like they're happening pretty soon. Yeah, I guess things are moving kind of quickly. They, like they said in the scene, if they can't get Mao, they're going to put the blame on Aaron, right? Make him the scapegoat. Not that he hasn't done plenty wrong anyway, but <laughs> he'll be the main person instead of the person who really deserves it, which, like we said, is Mao. 
of perhaps equal importance to this situation with Mao is the situation on Venus, which we see is pretty spectacular. And she is getting information directly from it. She's got Iturbi feeding her uh, updates. Yeah, and we see some scenes with Janus and Iturbi talking about protocol and deciding how to deploy their probes down to Venus because they've lost multiple so far. Yeah, and you see them actually get to start to get along a little bit, which is cool. Yeah, Janus is a little happy that they broke protocol in the end and even pats Iturbi on the back. And, I mean, they saw what Venus's surface looked like, and that's a pretty moving moment to see. Yeah, that was both spectacular and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, here there be dragons. <laughs> For sure. Every plot thread in this episode relates to the protomolecule, and it kind of all comes together at the end, as you'll see. And we start that with a flashback to Dr. Strickland and May, and we get this interesting conversation here between the two. He's just constantly trying to allay her fears because she's wants to see her father, and she doesn't even know the dome has been destroyed above them. You know, there's these noises, but she's underground when it happens, so... Yeah, in this first scene, which is set before the collapse even happens, we get a conversation showing that May is a smart girl, setting up her character a little bit. She's talking about some sciencey terms with Dr. Strickland. She's suspicious of what's going on here, which, yeah, you should be. You definitely should be. <laughs> but we also learn that the mirrors blowing up was not part of Strickland and company's plan. They weren't doing that as a distraction or anything like that that is hurting their ultimate plan, which, as we learn, because they say this, they need to make a transfer. The woman there says that this incident could delay their need to make this transfer. And as we see, that's the proto-soldier. Right, they're, they brought this thing in to do the test, which was really just supposed to be on those marines on the ground, which is a much smaller scale than the just massive scale of destruction that was unleashed instead. And this is, of course, the black ops ship that Alex figures out is coming in to pick up the proto-soldier. But, of course, that's all disrupted by a poorly timed grenade. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, of course, thrown back by Mr. Why am I always, always the one to get shot? Amos. And we get to see him with his huge gun. He is, of course, the one that starts the shooting in there uh, when one of the soldiers stands up suddenly. And... Amos gives Prax a gun before this fight, and I think the line, I'm ready to fight for my daughter, is what moved Amos to allow him, because, you know, as he said, have you ever used a gun before? And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of dangerous to give someone a gun who's never used a gun before. And even before Prax gets a gun, Prax and Amos tell the rest of the group how bad the situation is with the station in terms of it being totally collapsing regards to the food supply, as well as the oxygen. And meanwhile, these people working on the proto-soldier, they're in there eating pizza. Yeah, do you like pizza? <laughs> I think one of my favorite lines from the episode, though, was just Amos succinctly explaining what the cascade was. It means the station is effed. <laughs> yeah. He starts to explain it the long way, and he's like, no, 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 no. In the last episode, we were talking about how Holden probably wasn't too against Amos beating up Roma, the chicken man. <laughs> and as it turns out, we see Amos thinks the same things. He says, I think I just beat you to it. <laughs> and Holden essentially agrees. Yeah, he kind of does. And he's basically justifies it that 
if he's going after the protomolecule, it's all worth it. And at this point, it seems like Holden is still the only one that thinks he can contain the protomolecule. Everyone else, like Fred, and clearly this woman as she's dying, whose name is Yumiya, apparently. And Naomi. And Naomi, and just about everyone is just like, okay, this is out in the world now, and that's just how we have to deal with it. Holden still thinks he can stop it. If he sees this footage of Venus, which I don't know that he will, I don't see why he would, but if it gets out in any way... He's got to realize it's hopeless at this point. Like, can you really contain this thing? But for now, he's going on a hunt <laughs> for this protomolecule beast outside the ship. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I can't say he won't be able to stop that one. <laughs> <laughs> the hunt, of course, is going to take him away from Naomi. The group splits up, which is pretty interesting. Not something that we necessarily saw coming. That's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, Naomi seems to decide to leave after both Holden is really vicious with this dying woman, and she hears definitively that there are lots of protomolecule active in the universe. And Holden suggests that Amos go with her, and he did listen and go. And go. Holden also seems to want Prax to go with them, but Prax refuses so he can stay with Holden and get that proto-molecule dealt with because this is his vendetta now, too, because May has been taken by these people. From his perspective, it's been used on her, they're testing it on her or whatever, and yeah, that's the only thing that matters to him now. Also notable is that Prax finds a data core there. Yeah, it's interesting how in several different places people are getting valuable information about the protomolecule. We have Avicerala getting the information from Martins via Bobby, of course, stealing it. And of course we have this data core, and of course the Arbogast has finally got some visuals of what's going on in the surface. Mm -hmm. So everyone is learning about this all at once, getting like real data. And of course the OPA has stolen Cortazar, right? And are presumably mining him for information as well. So it's like a big, huge learning curve that everyone's on right now. Another really notable conversation in here was between Naomi and Prax when Prax says to her, you haven't lost a child. And Naomi drops this huge bomb on everyone. Well, on Prax specifically. <laughs> My baby boy was taken from me and I tried and I tried to find him and I failed. Yeah, it's not even clear that if Holden knows that she had a child at this point. No, I don't think he does know. Yeah, you think they would have shown us that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so Alex was all by himself again, but he does rejoin everybody by the end of the episode. Hey, he's not all by himself. He's with the <laughs> Rocinante. That's right, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love when he's talking to her and fiddling with his wedding ring on his finger, and then when he uses the wedding ring, of course. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Both the visuals there and just him talking to himself, it's hard to pull that off, and most of the characters, it would not have fit. It fits Alex perfectly. <laughs> but none of the other in fact none of the other characters I can think of would really work talking to themselves especially not like that in a kind of a humorous way Miller back in the day Miller probably yeah Miller maybe talks to himself you're right Miller <laughs> talks to himself well Miller talked to Julie who wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> right Alex had some great lines here, though, from, I said wider, <laughs> to my favorite that I'm going to try to use whenever I can, silent as the night and smooth as silk. <laughs> right on. Now, as funny as this scene was, it had a greater purpose. Alex had to track the Caracom, which was the Martian ship, to the gang's location, which was a great call by him. And to do this, to follow them there when it's on lockdown, he has to basically slingshot the ship without any engines being used. And a little interesting fact about the sequence, the showrunner actually released an apology regarding this plot <laughs> because it isn't technically possible for Alex to do this from the moon he was on. 
he could have done it from another moon that was slightly closer. They just screwed up and put him on a moon that was slightly too far. So the the idea is feasible entirely, but just not from that particular spot. Yeah, it was just too late in post-production for them to fix that. So they wrote this whole big apology. And I'm like, it's okay, dude. Yeah. It's fine. That <laughs> seems like an unnecessary apology. <laughs> uh. So, as we said, things kind of converge in a funny way. Alex tracks this ship, and they track May and wind up in the same place because these two things are connected. And meanwhile, this very same soldier has been shown to Avasarala on a video and Bobby on a video. Now, Avasarala is going to meet with Mao on the pretext of potentially buying the same weapon, the same weapon that has just escaped. Though, as we said earlier, there are apparently more of them. So, of course, they wouldn't be offering to sell it if they didn't have more in stock, I suppose. But... It's interesting that the timetable for Mao has really changed here. He's he's acting like he's in control, but we know that it's not quite that strong for him because his assets have been freezed on Earth. He's demanding they be unfreezed, but his prototype has escaped. We've, he's got a data core getting captured and Avasarala getting direct information from the Mars side by capturing Martins's device. So they're going to be able to approach him with a lot more information than he may know that they have. And that's going to be really interesting and probably a big part of the climax. We talked about this in the last episode, but there's a name for this thing. It's Caliban, Project Caliban. The second book is called Caliban's War, though this is never actually referenced within the books themselves. In the last episode, we thought this was just a neat visual Easter egg. As it turns out, they're referring to it more and more. Yeah, and it's really creepy. And the idea that the protomolecule allows them to be or play God, and she even uses this phrase, we made it in our own image, which is, you know, God made man in his own image. I don't look like that thing. thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) I think probably, definitively, the most spectacular image in the episode was Venus's surface, which we finally got eyes on for like two seconds. Yeah, I was going to say, really brief, but really cool, even though it was just, you know, you don't really get an idea just what scale that is that we're seeing but it's much much huger than what we saw in say the first ship that it started to grow in the anubis all that said i'm pretty sure if we saw venus's surface there without protomolecule it probably would have been pretty stunning as well (laughs) that's true (laughs) it's not like we normally get to see the surface of venus (laughs) it's boring Visual elements. This episode had a lot of particularly cool visuals. The Caliban soldier creature just running through the wreckage out there was pretty cool. Creepy, too. I really liked Rossi's 3D flight plan with the wedding ring flying through it and all that. Alex is still impressed by space, and so are we. He says, you're a sight to behold. Yeah, that was sweet. I like the red light in the Rocinante that they had there. You pay attention, you'll see that sometimes the Rocinante colors change. Sometimes they flash rainbow colored, and sometimes they're blue or red. Those are the most popular colors, but red fits Alex as a Martian. Yeah, yeah, it was red when it was safe, and when the alert started, it turned blue, which is kind of the opposite of what we're conditioned to seeing in in sci-fi films. I also really loved the kind of magenta light that they had when they were walking around Ganymede there. It was really pretty. Yeah, that was really cool. And they gave a bit of a haze for the flashback scene with May and Strickland and Yumiya. And then you see the really nice editing transitions from the past location to the location in the present, in quotes, you know, present. Certainly. <laughs> and then we have May's backpack, which is really cool. I imagine any uh, kid that sees that 
in modern times would be like, where do I get a backpack like that? Like with holograms, it's so awesome. We talked about it before, but this is the first time we've seen it really featured, like really featured and more casual viewers maybe would have noticed the holograms. I pointed it out to someone when we were watching and they still hadn't noticed it. <laughs> That's funny. And of course there was that neat disintegrator trick that was pretty cool don't want to be stuck in there <laughs> at least it would be fast they've been using flashbacks a little more this season i think and they also used it for the short flashback to the beach and bobby scene which was a little bit of a trick at first yeah it was like we weren't exactly sure what you're we seeing but it was part of her decision to seek asylum and at first it seemed like a flashback but it's really just her thinking about it we also see Martin's getting this missive about the Caracom headed to Ganymede right before Bobby goes to interrogate him. Right, which sets up that he has all this information and <laughs> that he's such a hypocrite. Yeah, he should have known that Bobby was serious because she had her hair up when she came <laughs> to meet him. Yeah, that's, that's on him. His generation <laughs> doesn't pay attention to things like that. <laughs> <laughs> We also saw during her run from the Martian embassy, a really great overhead shot of her running from the Mars side to the Earth side, which I thought was stunning. But we've also seen something that I never picked up on before, but I saw James S.A. Corey tweeting about, was the fact that the Martian embassy is a brutalist structure, as in brutalist architecture, which we cover Legion on FX, and they've talked about how Canada has a lot of this brutalist architecture, and so they used it for that and they're filming in Canada in the expanse as well so no wonder they had this same type of architecture and no wonder it was so familiar and it might have been familiar to some of you right on audio elements and during that scene where she's running there's also some very tense music as she's walking out as she's kind of being trying to be nonchalant so no one notices her and then once they do she starts running and there's a bit of action exposition at the same time when one of them yells stop or we'll shoot and his compatriot says no, we're not authorized. <laughs> so it explains why they don't shoot her. It's little lines like that that really make all the difference to me personally. Because if you don't get that line, you're someone's going to be nitpicking on that moment. Like, why didn't they just shoot her? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's true that it's true that in embassies around the world, U.S. soldiers aren't allowed to fight. Mm. It's just because just one accidental slip up can start <laughs> an incident, uh, can start an international incident. You know, just yeah. one accidental, whoops, bullet went out of the embassy and hit some passerby. All of a sudden, a war could start over that. I think one of my favorite audio elements from any episode are the accents. Mm. And Alex's accent was especially featured in this one with him talking to himself there and just going off. I would love to listen to just like an audiobook narrated by Cass Anvar, but with the Alex voice. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be great. Probably the most featured bit of sound editing in the episode was when they toss the grenade in to the other room on Ganymede and you just hear the sounds of some very odd sounding fight and torn metal and screaming. In retrospect, you find out it's this proto-soldier that's escaped and that's why there's all the shooting. They're trying to get it. The torn metal is it breaking free of the station entirely. And if you go back and listen to that with that in mind, it's like... It's very clear. It's very clear that there's a bunch of people helplessly fighting something that's way outclassed them. Final thoughts. So let's get into our favorite moments then. What was your favorite moment, Aziz? Well, as creepy as it was, I really liked the speech that Strickland gave to May about the chrysalis and the butterfly and how it needed to struggle and how well that fit into the theme. And normally I don't pick the creepy stuff, but... <laughs> I'll go with it this time. One of the things I like about it so much is the depth of its creepiness. We have people that are 
highly intelligent and they believe they're doing the right thing. They think that this is for the good of humanity, yet they're doing things to children. So it's really hard to see where they're coming from, but it's terrifying that they're doing it because they're such intelligent people and they're such powerful people. Yeah, it made me think of the conversations we've seen with people like Cortazar or Dresden, where they've talked about the potential of the protomolecule and how the protomolecule could allow us to, you know, just exist in space without a vac suit. And what do we see here but the proto-soldier without a vac suit? So a lot of their motivations are rooted in wanting to improve humanity at its core which again is what makes this such a creepy argument to me which is that a lot of people will agree with this and think that they are in the right here and it's one of those things where like a lot of the characters are saying it's out there now there's no getting rid of it we have to adapt to it and if that means making it part of people literally then maybe that's right but no one can really get behind the specifics of this i mean this is like eugenics and that's like one of the dirtiest words there is for good reason but it's a totally different type of eugenics <laughs> it's technological rather than rather than being rooted in ridiculous belief systems that have no basis in science and not rooted in keeping people from reproducing true well, what about your favorite moment my favorite tiny moment was just seeing the surface of venus but my favorite scene was avicerella talking to bobby after she recorded Quest's political asylum. I talked about how I thought that was just a warm scene where Abisarala was realizing that Bobby needed help. Yeah, right on. That was a great scene. There was an important plot point and there was a lot of humorous lines in it. Yeah, that too. Okay, so that's our show. Unless you are going to stick around for a few little bit of book spoiler talk. If you're leaving, see you next time for episode 12 coverage. If you're sticking around, well, let's do it. So again, get out of here if you're not a book reader. <laughs> Fandomedia.reviews. Of course, the Naomi reveal was not really a reveal to anyone who's read the books. It's something that we would not have expected them to cut. So certainly at some point this was going to come. It was earlier than we might have expected, though. Yeah, we've seen some clues about this in the past, but we certainly weren't expecting Naomi to just straight up say it. Yeah, that was a surprise. And like we said during the regular coverage of this episode, Holden almost certainly doesn't know. And now they're not gonna, it's not gonna come up because they're not together, at least not for a while. You know, I did wonder if there was any chance that it could come up between Prax and Holden. Like, Prax doesn't know that Holden doesn't know, for example. Good point. So Prax could just organically bring it up, like, you know, Naomi understands. She lost a child. And Holden's like, what? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but we also got talk of another child that is Clarissa Mao who yes. we are excited to see aka Peaches yeah aka Melba <laughs> so we'll see how that goes that character obviously is poised to be very important in the future we'll see what the show does with her but she's major in the books yeah I expect we'll see the casting announcement for her before next season that she'll be in season three yeah I guess she's probably not going to appear in episode 12 or 13, but that she will definitely yeah. appear in season three. Yeah, it is interesting to wonder who they might cast for this character. Lots of people want them just to cast the original actress that played Julie Mao because she's close enough that they got confused for one another, and I would be fine with that to keep her in the show, in which case it is possible we could see her in episode 12 or 13 because Florence is still credited as a cast member. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Now, of course, speaking of the Mao family, this is a trap, if it's anything like the book. <laughs> and Aaron Wright's confession is perhaps a different way they're handling Aaron Wright kind of backstabbing Abyssarala, which is possibly where we're headed here as well. 
something that fooled me because of what I expected to see and because it was so quick was I was so sure Prax shot first in this scene because he does in the book, but it's Amos. Yeah, and it's such a quick shot. We had to watch it this specific scene three times before we were like, okay, that was Amos that started it, which was an interesting choice. They haven't gone into why they did that. They haven't gone into Amos being at fault for starting the firefight. In the books, of course, you know, Prax never had a gun before. He's a little trigger sensitive. Yeah, he just doesn't know how to handle his weapon, which would have worked pretty well. And it's, again, part of why I was fooled. It was really what I was expecting to see, and it just kind of worked that way. The pizza is taken right from the book as well. <laughs> I remember that pretty distinctly. Gave me a laugh. What would would have been my favorite moment if I was allowed to give a favorite moment that's book spoilery would have been when Janus says Magellan died you know when he's arguing with the Turby about how to handle this situation and whether or not they should cannibalize one probe to make the other one stronger we know the Arbogast is basically going to get sucked out of the sky by this protomolecule structure and like deconstructed yeah and it's almost certainly going to kill all these people. So it's pretty sad. That scene is like, oh, they're getting along now. They're working <laughs> together. And like, oh boy. Yeah. What I'm wondering is whether or not the Mars ship is going to get snatched also. Yeah, yeah. I think it probably will. But yeah. it isn't the one that sent the probe all the way to the surface. True that. Fandomedia.reviews. And that's our show, episode 25 of Fandomedia. If you could give us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use, it would really help us out. Until next time, we're Fannery Sergeants Aziz and Ashea. Uncovering the secrets of Project Califan. <laughs> <laughs>